Welcome back to another edition of the Veeries and Numerous podcast. Special thanks to our sponsors who, uh, without them, we wouldn't be able to do this show every week for you guys. Uh, new sponsor this week, Thunder Games. Thunder Games creates games that integrate Bitcoin and process payments via the Lightning Network. They have numerous different games that run their own node. If you wish to connect, their public key is available over at Thunder Games. That's T-H-N-D-R dot games forward slash. And then about, uh, and then if you want to go over there and check out their uh, Telegram and Twitter, it's also available on there. You can uh, hop into the community. Thunder Games are making mobile games which enable players to win Bitcoin for free using the Lightning Network to send prizes. I love to see this as uh, somebody who's a proponent of the Lightning Network and watch it scale. So head over to Thunder Games, that's T-H-N-D-R, period, games, and download their app in the iOS or Google Play Store today. Vinxcoin. Vinxcoin is the world's first decentralized fine French wine and vineyard-backed security token offering, STO, where anyone can be a fine French wine and vineyard owner from the comfort of their own homes. Uh, Vinxcoin removes high costs to enter the fine French wine and vineyard ownership markets. Head over to Vinxcoin.com to see what they're up to over there. Trios, trios Trios.io. What is Trios? Trios is an economy and an ecosystem. Trios is a direct reference to a decentralized money that will power a new economy. In the future, the term Trios will become synonymous with cryptocurrency and virtual financial assets, VFAs. Their payment methods, their ecosystem, and their general use as a utility uh, and a store of value. Visit Trios.io. Chair and Coins, you found the brick-and-mortar financial institution where you can safely trade dollars for Bitcoin, USD to BTC, over-the-counter OTC, and person-to-person. They facilitate transactions of all sizes, including high-volume transactions. Their headquarters is located in Milwaukee, servicing the MKE areas of Lakefront, East Side, River West, and all of Wakaja County. More than being just an OTC location, they are here to educate you about Bitcoin wallets, blockchain, cryptocurrency, security, and platforms. If you're in the Milwaukee area, you can also visit their Bitcoin ATM, where more locations will soon be coming. Visit Charon Coins, that's C-H-A-R-O-N, coins.com. Bitcoin SOV, Bitcoin Store Value, is an emerging community-driven project that has a decentralized team the world over. It is a proof-of-work mineable ERC-20 and has a deflationary design with token burns to ensure your value is stored over time. Visit bsov.io. Lucho Paletti is a digital artist who did that masterpiece right there on the wall, the Andy Warhol, and self-described propagandist known for his iconic Bitcoin artworks. Lucho Paletti's number one goal is to spread the message that Bitcoin is better money. Check out Lucho's work. He has pages of it. Uh, Merchandise, all all the works over at Lucho Paletti. That's L-U-C-H-O-P-O-L-E-T-T-I dot com. Flashcoin. Flashcoin is a reinvention of Litecoin built to scale for worldwide commerce and fast enough to handle everyday transactions. The flexible and easy to integrate core code allows exchanges and wallets to add Flash to their platform within hours. 
With a settlement time of around five seconds and consensus within two minutes, anyone, anywhere can use Flash Mobile Wallet as easily as cash or credit card. Visit flashcoin.io. That's F-L-A-S-H coin.io. And as always, remember, nothing written or spoken on briar.io should be interpreted as financial advice. Always do your own research. You are the captain of your own financial ship and control your own personal financial sovereignty. I appreciate everyone for watching and please enjoy or listening and please enjoy this episode. Back again for episode 15 with, uh, she's an attorney with the DLT Law Group, PA, and teaches a continuing legal education course titled Proof of Law. She's also a member of the Tone Bay's Bitcoin Law Review Cast and hosts her own podcast, The Hoddle Cast. Sasha Hodder, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Always fun talking with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, how are you hanging in there with what's going on in the world right now? It doesn't really even need to be said. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, one day at a time here. <laughs> like some days I'm fine. I don't, I can work normally. Like I don't think about it. And then other days when I get trapped on, like I basically I had to uninstall certain uh, chat apps from my laptop so that I could be more productive and less afraid of, uh, you know, dying. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. I asked somebody yesterday whether their marginal product, I had Philip Kennedy on the show and I asked him whether his marginal productivity has went up or down or remained constant. So you're, you're getting your work done. It sounds like. Uh, most days. Yeah. yeah. I find like five or six hours of work whereas before I think I was probably able to do 10 to 12 on some days but right now it's just with well, I have a stepson who's 11 who's here at our house with us and we were we were about to list our house on the market like literally the week that they they made the kids stay home from school and we we thought we could list it and then get another place like fairly quickly but with all this we just thought we don't want people to come in walking through the house and so it's our place is kind of smaller than i would like to be uh quarantined but in but uh other than that it's okay yeah, that's good you? everybody's safe though it sounds like exactly mm -hmm. good all right so let's get into your life your background where did you grow up oh i grew up in halifax nova scotia canada um, kind of probably no one in America knows where that is usually, but it's on the East Coast. It's an ocean town, and it was it was a really nice place to grow up. And then I moved to Ontario um, for university and kind of stayed around there for about a decade, and then moved to Florida for uh, for law school. So I'm a pretty big hockey fan, which I haven't talked about on here. I don't think so. All right, that was one of my questions that I wanted to ask you. Are you did you have a hockey team growing up? Oh, um, I always have been a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay. Yeah. How far is that from Halifax? Well, Toronto is about a two-day drive, but I moved to Ontario. Um, oh, okay. So I got to see when I was working at the bank and stuff, we'd have tickets that we could take clients and see the games. So it was a lot of fun. I've been to where they play, I think, one time. I didn't see a game. They and the Blue Jays. Yeah. Uh, I was over there. It's pretty cool. So when uh, I know you were a good student, I just have a feeling where what you were right. Uh, I was okay. I, I got myself in a little trouble in my uh, younger years uh, in high school. I used to skip school all the time. So, um, but I still grad. I graduated with honors and stuff. Yeah, I was, I was a pretty good student, but uh, 
but not as good as I could have been in terms of attendance. <laughs> where did where did you end up studying uh, at university there? So I, I actually have three degrees. So the first one was from Western or the University of Western Ontario in London, Ontario. And I did a, a Bachelor of Commerce there. And then um, I graduated that in 2005. And then in 2010, I did my MBA at um, Laurier, the Laurier School of Business and Economics in Waterloo, Ontario, and then moved to Florida for the hopefully final degree in law <laughs> <laughs> nice. So what year did you get your law degree? Uh, I graduated in 2017. Okay. So uh, that's, I, I got a question about that coming up. Okay. So you found Bitcoin when? Uh, I guess I wanted to ask you one last question about economics. Did you find Bitcoin before or uh, while you were studying economics? You know, it was, um, it all kind of accumulated together. I, I found Bitcoin when I was working as a mutual whole, uh, mutual fund wholesaler. And one of our portfolio managers, Christine Hughes, she was really into macroeconomics and she knew about Bitcoin at $2 and was talking about it then. She was really, um, she was worried about all the leverage, like it was when the QEs just had started coming out. And so she thought that silver at the time, silver, gold, and Bitcoin were kind of her recommendations. And I I never got in myself into Bitcoin. Like I didn't buy any until 2014. So it had already, you know, hit a thousand and then come back down by the time I I figured out how to buy it. But I was watching it, feeling like an idiot for missing the run up. But uh <laughs> No, when it, a lot of people uh, wish they could go back in a time machine in the Bitcoin space, yeah. especially. Uh, so when did you, did you have a feeling that you were going to be uh, like a blockchain specialist in, in law before you went to law school? Well, I thought I would work as a mutual fund, um, you know, attorney, like in-house counsel for a mutual fund was kind of my goal going into law school. I was just sick of, um, I was sick of the lack of control I had, I guess, in the sales role. Like you go out and you talk to these um, investment managers about various funds, but you have no, I'm not the one buying the stocks and the funds. All I could do is relay a message. The performance often was, you know, up and down. And I've, I just got sick of explaining poor performing funds to people and thought, well, why don't I try this different aspect, um, you know, maybe being the person writing the, the fund, um, you know, prospectus, things like that is what I kind of wanted to do. And the fund I was in, I was into, I was at the time when I started at the company, I was really drawn to socially responsible investing, which you know, as I learned more about it or started talking with these investment advisors, I realized there wasn't much market for it. Like uh, people don't want to give up any performance just because the the fund is, you know, not invested in like tobacco or alcohol. But um, in doing that, our company, we used to go to the large pension funds, like the Teachers Pension Fund of Ontario, stuff like that, or, you know, companies like that, that had large investments in certain stocks. And we would ask them to ask the stock to implement some kind of more sustainable, you know, uh, whatever the fact was, you know, whatever the company was, was whether it was like hiring more women on their board of directors or, um, you know, looking at their supply chain to see if there were ways to, to improve sustainability in it. And, uh, you know, at first it sounds all great, but the reality is you're asking companies to invest 
their resources into things that aren't going to impact their bottom line. And uh, so anyway, it was, it was just kind of a, a balance between it all. But I thought I would work going into law school. I kind of thought I would work in that area of going to companies and trying to help them implement sustainable practices through this mutual fund company or one like it. Um, but that quickly in law school, I was trying to move my money around from Canada to the US. And that's where I learned about Bitcoin. Like I thought maybe it could be a better way to do to I thought I could offload my student loans into Bitcoin, then put them in an American bank account, like just use it as a means for transferring but it was not set up that infrastructure wasn't there to move it from canada banks into bitcoin so i then got a job for a bitcoin atm company and that was right when i was starting law school so then then you know then i i kind of switched focus and through the through that three-year period was was still following bitcoin and hoping i'd eventually end up working in some capacity in the bitcoin space which I am so <laughs> yeah that's pretty cool the group that you're with now the uh what's it called again i'm sorry lt yeah is it uh, is that are they all blockchains are you like the blockchain uh specialist there is everybody kind of blockchain focused how's that work it's, it's pretty heavily blockchain focused but my partner greg also um brokers some larger deals on like any type of thing we have our trust account set up so it start you know we initially got it set up to try and be able to um, help with some of those larger OTC Bitcoin trades, but those never materialized. And then other, you know, real estate or things, um, other things have worked out in that nature. So he kind of branched out from Bitcoin a little bit in the last couple of years, but he's still really knowledgeable on it. Okay. So as you know, since we've spoken before, I was on your podcast. I was on one of your first shows, which thanks for having me on. But I, you know, I'm an anarcho-capitalist and um, I'm pretty staunch in that in that mindset. Uh, and as this is kind of a, a question that is um, I'm setting you up for this question. Uh, you know, the state is a territorial and thus jud judicial monopolist. So what kind of um, what kind of what have you seen from the government in regards to this is such a broad question in regards to like cryptocurrency adoption and blockchain? I mean, it's like constantly or at least it used to be in the news, like New York State and stuff like that just basically killing, you know, any sort of like advancements and innovations. What, what is your perspective on this? Yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of the state money transmission regulations. And that's something that I find I'm dealing with almost on a daily basis with any kind of Bitcoin ATM company or an OTC desk exchanges, they all have to comply with these first at the federal level with FinCEN and then also with the state level, it just seems completely redundant for the states that require them to have additional licenses. And, um, and a lot of the states don't know, I mean, these money transmission licenses were set up to regulate things like Western Union. And it just, it just seems really, um, it's really frustrating to... <laughs> to try and work through a lot of the time and very expensive for the companies. It's just like a, a real waste of resources. What have you found? Like, have you spoken with lawmakers or anything like that yourself and talked to them like, and got any sort of like grasp on what they know about, you know, the space? 
Um, you know, every every state is different in their approach to it, and I certainly haven't talked to every state, but I have sent no action letters at least to every state for, you know, just for money transmission usually. Um, and most of the time they just don't respond. But the ones that have responded, a few of them, like Florida, I've had a lot of interactions with, they do seem pretty knowledgeable on it. Florida has a special task force that, you know, they've, they've got that Espinosa case ongoing. So I think they've had to put a little bit more attention than some other states into it because of that litigation. But So are you optimistic that we're going to be able to build this world that we want to build? No, <laughs> not <at all. laughs> you're not. You don't think that they're just going to let us do it? No, we're going to have to do it without, the, uh, you know, like we have to find ways of building from a non-custodial standpoint so that we can be outside of some of this regulation, I think, if we want to really build um, a future with Bitcoin. What do you think that uh, the common person listening to the show could do to help that, you know, advance? Um you know, you, you support non-custodial wallets and things like that. Don't put your money in the, um, into the system, like with Coinbase and things like, well, I, I don't know. I feel weird saying that too, because Coinbase so far has proved quite trustworthy and, you know, maybe the safest spot for someone new to put their money into Bitcoin. But, uh, but just with all the chain analysis and those kind of tools and government cooperation in terms of KYC, I think it's really making it difficult for, um, it's making it so the whole, every transaction on the blockchain is traceable through these chain analysis companies. Whereas if people use wallets that don't um, require KYC, then, then it keeps the blockchain a little bit more private or anonymous. So are you personally interested in any privacy coins then? You know, I haven't, I, I haven't gotten too into the privacy coins. My husband has something going on his computer with Monero. Like I think he runs a Monero node and he, he's a fan of Monero, but I haven't, um, I think I've held Monero on an exchange. And right. that's, that's did it. you, did you, I have to ask now, did you guys meet, I didn't know that he was into crypto. Did you guys meet at like a blockchain meetup? Sort of. We met <laughs> Um, well, it's kind of funny, like, uh, a guy that I met at a meetup was already friends with, with my now husband because they were in the rare Pepe community together. And so I wrote this little big L song, Ebonics with, uh, you know, revised lyrics for Bitcoin, like kind of defining what, or I was trying to define some of the vocabulary through like, but matched it to the song lyrics. And then Sean, my friend from the Jacksonville Bitcoin meetups, he's like, oh, you should send this to my friend Skrilla. He'd probably really like it. He has a studio, whatever. So I just randomly texted it to, or Telegram messaged it to him at like three in the morning one night in October 2017. And then we started playing this Bitcoins farming game. It's a counterparty kind of like a virtual farm. And then... Jeff or DJ J Skrilla, as his telegram name was, I didn't even know his real name. He offered to like help me with my farm art and stuff like that. So then we just kind of got talking and uh, yeah. That's pretty, that's actually a really cool story. Uh, I'm glad you told me that. So I, I want to know about uh, you, you keep up with the Ross Albrecht case. Well, I've, I've, I've become friends with Lynn. So mm -hmm. I've, 
gotten to know the case a little bit through that, but I haven't done any real, like I wasn't one of the lawyers on any of the official stuff for it. Do you know, like, I remember last year, I talked to, I said hi to Lynn at Ann Arkadelphia real quick, just told her I thought she was like a courageous woman, basically. Um, I didn't get to have a long talk with her. Unfortunately, she was in the middle of talking to somebody else. Did, did, uh, like, what do you, is he, has he exhausted like all of his um, appeals? Because that was what I heard from some people. And then other people said there was still like a Hail Mary uh, prayer. Oh, so what happened was the first trial, like the initial one, there was a lot of mistakes happened at it or what, what we look at now and would identify as like procedural mistakes done by, by the government and by Ross's lawyer. So for some reason, the appeal on that, they just didn't take into account any, um, any of the arguments. And there was a really top-notch law firm hired that handled that and did, you know, they did any, anything any lawyer could really do uh, to, to bring the attention to, on the appeal. But then um, they got put to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court looked at it. Then it got held. So there was really like uh, the Supreme Court said, we're going to answer the Carpenter case before we decide whether or not we're going to hear Ross's case again. And the Carpenter case was about whether the whether they could look at your cell phone or computer without a warrant. And um, it, you know, I hope I'm not mis remembering but I'm pretty sure the Carpenter case said that you you do need a warrant for that so it should have it was at that point looking really hopeful that Ross Ross's case could come under review again and using that logic that you need a warrant to look at his laptop they didn't have a warrant so it could have really changed the game for for getting him a, re, a new trial but then the Supreme Court decided not to hear it despite like 26 amicus briefs being filed by a lot of, you know, f f people like different law firms and organizations um, for Liberty, how, you know, so said they supported having the case reviewed, but the Supreme Court didn't review it. And then the last thing that they could do was this uh, 2255 motion that, that attacks the first trial's um, procedure issues and that's ongoing so it was filed last October and uh, no no final decisions have come out from that yet it's kind of the first the they looked at it and then it got rewritten a little bit like uh, the first draft was anyway it had to get revised and now it's under review as far as I know but it's uh, those 2255 motions are really difficult to to um, you know, to get any headway with. So yeah, I wanted your legal opinion because, you know, everybody has an opinion, but a legal one is obviously, you know, much more uh, respected when you're talking about something of this nature. But I think the best, the path that Lynn is focused on the most right now is just getting clemency through President Trump. And, uh, and he has, you know, he uh, say what you will about Trump. He's done a lot for for you know letting people out on, right. on so um, or other you know other things if they're over sixty and they've served a certain portion of their sentence. But he's done a lot in the criminal justice reform, and so they're hoping he'll he'll look at this and let Ross out. But right. I. I and jokingly, um, you know, Ross should go try and catch the COVID in there and then make a big fuss saying, let me out or I'm going to die. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a shame what's happened to him. I mean, I think he got two life sentences in 40 years. It's just he's probably been in jail for like five, six, six years now. Yeah, he had his seventh birthday in jail just not too long ago. So. Yeah, and all he did was create like a free market. So, um, and then uh, it's so frustrating. Like, so on that 2255, there was a lot of things that, that were pointed out. Like, uh, you know, the FBI was in messing with the account. Mm. Like, so the jury didn't know that the FBI had gained access to the Silk Road administration account and that they had stolen a bunch of Bitcoin from it. That, But the, you know, that knowledge should have probably been shared with them. And they had to decide that Ross was the only person that was operating the website. And had they known that the FBI was logging in and also capable of operating the website, they might have come to a different conclusion. So. That seems like a very important thing to not leave out of a trial of that magnitude. Like how, how do they omit something like that? Is that common? I mean, well, they got it omitted as like the, the evidence was, I think they waited for the FBI's case to be heard after Ross's so that it wasn't public knowledge yet, but they, they scheduled it that way. You know, it seems like it was an intentional. intentional. So, so anything like that, you know, the defense attorney would have brought up in that regard would have been like speculation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Unbelievable. And I didn't realize it worked like that. That's how. Andreas scheduled Andreas Antonopoulos to be a witness and the Ross's initial lawyer used, submitted Andreas's bio from an outdated LinkedIn webpage. Mm-hmm. So say his LinkedIn wasn't fully updated with his skill set. I mean, it still probably showed that he he had, you know, certainly more knowledge than the average person around Bitcoin and uh, the technology. But the judge said he wasn't qualified to be an expert witness and wouldn't wouldn't look at it again with the updated information on the website on the LinkedIn site showing his current credentials. So there was a there was a lot of weird things like that. Like when they found the uh, chat logs, some of the things that, that they said that Ross, some conversations that they said he had, uh, they found Ross actually after the trial looked through it all himself in jail and found four different folders of the, well, he wasn't allowed to look at it online. It had to all be printed for him. Right. But he found that the same chat include, there were four folders where there were, three were altered chats in his opinion and then one chat looked different so when they took his laptop that there's supposed to be very intense um you know chain of custody things that you do with the laptop so that it's basically recorded everything that the the government clicks on on it and it's supposed to be you know quite a controlled thing but they didn't execute that properly. So no one knows what happened to the laptop between the time that it was taken, you know, for like a week period, anyone could have put anything on that laptop. And it's, right. it's but, you know, that uh, one last question about that. Do you know if like the theory, they, they, they claim that or whatever they, uh, what I've heard is that they snuck up on him in the library while he had all of the stuff open and that way you know, it wasn't encrypted or whatever, so they could actually get in there. Do you know if that's true? Like, have you ever asked any asked anyone whether that's true or not? Um, yeah, I think they were dressed as bums, like really? library, and just kind of ambushed him. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. On to be- on to on to happier things. I d- I just wanted to get your opinion on that because I I know I've seen pictures of you with Lynn, and I I wanted to get like your your input. 
When did you start the Hodlecast? Oh, I started it, uh, I think, in December of 2017. It was just so many people, like, in my family and stuff asking what Bitcoin was that I thought I tried to make a little video explaining it. And then I, it was so much fun doing it that I started, uh, I just kept it up. And it was such a, it was a really great way. Um, so I had been at a, a law firm that just did business litigation. And it wasn't, I, I had a few contacts in the crypto space that wanted to do ICOs and other kind of projects. And I wanted to help them with it. Even uh, you know, I didn't fully know the rules around the ICOs at the time, but I, you know, I wanted to learn about it and, and whatnot. And uh, the the managing partner there wasn't comfortable with cryptocurrency, so he didn't want you know he didn't want to basically take on that kind of liability, which in hindsight might have been smart. Like, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm not anti ICO. I mean, I think if you're gonna have a free market, you should be able to do whatever you want, other than like. I, I, it's not, you know, I don't recommend people starting a coin and then just scamming people out of their money, but it's also like up to the individual, right? I think yeah, they shouldn't be able to lie about what right. they're offering, but other than that, I think they should be allowed to offer whatever coin they want and anyone that wants to buy it, you know, they can go gamble their money in Vegas. Why not gamble on, you know, ICO coins? But I agree with you. So outside of my, myself, who was your most interesting guest so far? Oh, um, geez, I've had, I've had some really cool guests. Uh, I really enjoyed an interview with this guy, Moon Math Win. He's the moderator on Bitcoin markets, like the Reddit Bitcoin markets. And he had a lot of really, he makes this website of the Moon Math stuff. Okay. It's, uh, you know, looking at whether it's algorithmic or log, 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 uh, you know, the price of Bitcoin going up. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh. He used some ASOP method. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, no, I, I'm not familiar with that. Now I have to look that up. That's the yeah. one thing about Bitcoin is that no matter how long you've been in Bitcoin, there's always something to learn, which I love because I don't I don't watch television or anything like that. So other than occasional Netflix, it's, it's all Bitcoin. And uh, now I'm interested in Chainlink. Are you have you looked? Are you interested in any other projects? Are you are you a maximalist? I I feel like I need to ask you. Uh, you know, I'm turning more and more into a maximalist as Are you? time goes. Just because, okay. you know, uh, it's it's just hard to execute. I think, given the legal landscape too, has made it harder for 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 some of these coins to really show show their worth. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I won't I won't debate you on it here. Uh, so, <laughs> I was be a firm debate because I don't know you know I I think I think uh, eventually we'll see some some coins come out that are worth um, looking into and I don't think we saw a lot of that in 2017 but we've had three more years of t people learning and mm -hmm. uh, and I'm sure something good will come out of it if you look at the you know the 90s the internet um, mm -hmm. it, a few companies good came out of that from the tech boom and the you know, some my, my quick claim is that the um, maybe you can you can think about this. I'm not trying to change your mind, but that the you know competition is what makes the best out of any good, and money is a good like anything else. So if you, if we just all are Bitcoin maximalists, then I think we're going to end up with fiat fiat Bitcoin. So uh, that's my quick argument in that regard. So I but I you can fill follow up real quick. Two is 
every person that learns about Bitcoin and the when they first find out that there's an, a possible that they can issue a coin really easily, that's what everyone always wants to do. So I don't think we're ever going to stop that. So people right. will, like you said, get more and you know more competitive with it, and eventually something good will come. I agree with you. So I saw you were on one of my heroes, uh, his show, Tom Woods. Oh, yeah, Tom. <laughs> Did you talk him into buying any Bitcoin? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, was, I was curious if you uh, were able to convince him of the utility or not. Uh, I, th- I, th- I, I thought he already, like, was kind of convinced on it. Or is, is he a no-coiner? Well, I don't, I don't know whether he has any or not. I think he's kind of – I haven't heard him talk about it a lot, but it, I didn't know if you had any uh, inside info that you wanted to drop here. I went on the uh, the his cruise, not this year, but the year before with Bob Woods or Bob. Um, Bob Murphy. Yes, yeah, with Bob Murphy, and uh, they they played a lot of like uh, Naomi Brockwell was one of the hosts or the MC, and there was a lot of Bitcoin related talk and debate there. So I just kind of I, I assumed that he already had some. So yeah, I don't think he's anti Bitcoin. I just don't think he's like come out and said that he's a bitcoin guy or anything like that i'm not sure so uh i i also i, I don't think i mentioned in the intro but you also write from time to time for bitcoin magazine did they reach out to you and how does that work um do you let them know when you want to contribute or they can say hey we need your legal opinion uh both like it started with me for quite a while emailing them every time i wrote a blog saying hey if you'd like to put this in bitcoin magazine uh go ahead and then i never got any responses back and then i attended tone vase's conference um like last year and christy harkin who's their editor she was there and i i ate lunch with her a few times and uh, Tatiana Moroz introduced us. And then after that, there was a question from the audience to the legal panel about a certain tax thing. And, uh, and I wrote a blog on that. And then I sent that directly to her and said, Hey, uh, you know, if you know, this is the question, here's my short blog on it. And then after that, now she asks me, you know, the, uh, like once every three or four months, there'll be a topic and she'll say, Hey, can you weigh in on this? So. That's pretty cool. I think I remember that video that you're talking about. It's on YouTube, right? Yeah. 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 I think I remember seeing that on YouTube. So <laughs> let's talk about some, some price stuff, the fun stuff here. Where do you think we're going? Cause I think we're in a bull market and I think we're going to be in a bull market until, um, 2022 early is my guess. Today is April 8th. Wednesday, the uh, Wednesday, April eighth, twenty twenty, and the price of Bitcoin is like seventy three fifty, seven thousand three hundred fifty. Ethereum's like one seventy. Chainlink's up like sixty something cents. I'm really interested in Chainlink right now. In the last couple of days, it's like two dollars and ninety seven cents. And uh, yeah, so where do you think we're heading in the next? What is it's eighteen, nineteen months, something like that? Where do you think we're going during this bull run? I think we're going to go to 100K. <laughs> oh, wow. So you, you, we're going to the moon? We're going to the moon. <laughs> it's gonna, and this is completely just my guess. Yeah. But I made a bet with my husband that if I – I think I said it would be – and I'm always off. I'm, we always make bets on the price, and it has never – I always am the high – you know, I, I always guess the highest and have failed the last couple. Like, Extreme optimist. 
Yeah, yeah. But I thought maybe around 20K in the summer, like July, August, and then maybe we'll see like uh, 40K coming like October, November, and then uh, just kind of like exactly what happened last time, um, you know, in the after the happening, and then the, when it hit 20K, this time it'll hit 100K, and then okay. quickly plummet back down to settle in around 20, 20 to 30. How wild will that be if we go from 20K to 100K in the same time frame as the uh, uh, 1,000 to 20,000 move? That would be insane. I wanted it to happen now. Like, well, <laughs> and we're all on quarantine. I wish we could just be sitting here. Well, we've got our Bitcoin. We're okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has bounced back pretty strong since the um, – I mean, who would have thought it would have dropped 50% in a day? And everybody was panicking. I was, like, trying to, like, you know, boost morale on Twitter and stuff. I, I, I couldn't figure it out. I think probably just hedge funds, you know, taking risk off the market. Right. Yeah, and then there's also the whales that are going to dump on that situation. It's like an excuse for them all to get to get. I'm not saying there's any corruption involved, but, uh, you know, people with a lot of money might make calls to one another to say, hey, we're going to dump this and then pick them up for a third of the price or half the price in, um, uh, you know, two days. So, that, yeah. yeah, you can't blame them, really. Um, so where do you see Bitcoin in the next decade? Where do you think we'll be in like 2030 all around? Like from from a consumer standpoint, do you think we'll be using it in everyday commerce? Or will it still be just like an asset class that we kind of speculate on? What do you think? I think we'll have a stable coin issued by the government that we use in everyday commerce. But I think when once that comes, we'll probably have the same infrastructure so that people can like merchants can easily accept Bitcoin the same way that they accept a stable coin. So I think it might, it might make its way into an alternative currency that way, but I think it'll become more and more of an investment speculation vehicle, like in hedge funds and, uh, you know, more on the security side of things. I think there's a lot of people working on a tokenized stock market and, so I, I'd imagine we'll see that within the decade anyway, if not much sooner. But, uh, but you know, that doesn't involve Bitcoin itself. That's like, it'll be basically version, you know, some kind of derivative of the stock that'll be tokenized. But hopefully you have to get Bitcoin to get into it. Probably you won't need it. But yeah. I think it'll always be the king of uh, the cryptocurrency though. I, I tend to agree with you. Unless they do something really stupid, I see. I agree. Uh, Bitcoin is kind of like a moving target, too. And I'm using Bitcoin to talk about blockchain and the entire space in, this, in that regard. So I think you are in like one of the best businesses you could be in right now. Um, you're de I think your demand is going to keep rising over the next couple decades because, you know, there's so much uncertainty, which is good for your profession, right? Am I wrong? Or? Sadly, yeah. Make their most money in the gray areas, right? But, but I, you know, for for the community side, I I think there's a lot of money that's been spent and has to keep getting spent on all these legal things that, that really takes away from the company's focus on their technology. So I I wished we could find a more stream streamlined process for issuing tokens. Like right now you either have to go through FinCEN or the SEC and neither one of those options is cheap or um or easy. Yeah, unfortunately the United States has 
so many laws on the books. Um, I hope that, I hope we don't get left behind here. Um, the other thing that the CFTC put out a new guidance around settlement, I still need to go through it. It's one of these things where I've just kind of been putting it off. It's on my to-do list every day to read it and understand it. But, uh, but from my quick read of it, like a week ago, I think it's going to change it so that anyone doing um, any kind of leverage trading where they don't settle for 28 days can apply under the CFTC Commodity Exchange Act. And if so, they can get out of the money transmission world, which is, I think, to get into the CFTC um, jurisdiction is probably more desirable than having to deal with the state-by-state -state stuff. So uh, I think we'll probably see people starting to figure out ways to float their 28 days so that they don't settle right away, which mm -hmm. is a weird concept. Like usually in Bitcoin, one of the features is that it, you know, settles immediately or, you know, with, at least within an hour. Mm -hmm. um, but if people can float it, then they can get registered under the Commodities Exchange Act and they only have one regulator who seems somewhat reasonable and knows about Bitcoin and uh, and it seems like they want to see the industry thrive more than the other two regulators that are that are here, the SEC and FinCEN. Yeah, in theory, the um, you could have the states competing for, you know, our basically our tax dollars where we where we decide to live within the union but unfortunately the monolithic nature of the federal government really doesn't change things too much state to state where you're at i know libertarians like it to be state regulated because right. it's smaller but in this case uh if you are dealing with the whole country it's it's just better to only have to answer to one regulator than 50. That's true too. I, I, I didn't think about it from that, that standpoint. So last question, what does Bitcoin mean to you? Oh gosh. Uh, I mean, I love Bitcoin. I mean, so, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of like my whole life has been built around it lately. Um, you know, it brought me my husband and uh, <laughs> my stepson, you know, as a result and, you know, moving to DC and, all my friends basically. So it's, it, 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 I had some friends actually at, uh, from my, my old law school, we were having lunch one day and they were taught, we were talking about Bitcoin and I mentioned, so I forget what I said, but they're like, isn't Bitcoin just kind of like MasterCard? Like, why do you care so much about it? And I thought, no, it's a little more than just a payment method here. It's like a community and, you know, a possibly bright future for for a lot of people that got into this. It's a way to opt out. Well, you know, initially I was hoping it was a way to opt out of some of the government um you know, regulation, but it doesn't really seem to be effective for that in America because of all the um, on and off ramps being regulated. But, uh, you know, I'm still dreaming of living on a citadel somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So just life on an island with uh, all kinds of other Bitcoiners who, you know, think of the same way and uh, have some kind of little utopia going for it. I don't, you know, I know that's very uh, much a pipe dream, like, uh, but that's, that's kind of what I, when I think of it, what I, what I envision. <laughs> Maybe it'll end up being a cruise ship and then we, we all, we all pitch in for that. And then there's really, we're in international waters. I don't know what they can, what yeah. the rules are there. <laughs> yeah. right? maritime law kicking in <laughs> yeah we go we'll go to maritime law maybe we'll have better better odds 
So what do you want to throw your links out and where people can find your uh, all your stuff? Oh yeah, sure. So my website is sashahodler.com, S-A-S-H-A-H-O-D-L-E-R. It's kind of under construction. I've been trying to get it. I have a, anyway, I've been trying to get it updated and, but it's, it's there. It's where I have my blogs and everything. And uh, all my own podcast is called the Hoddle cast. And uh, it's all on that website as well. And then my law firm is dltlawgroup.com. So Perfect. I appreciate you coming on today. Oh, thank you. Good to talk with you. You too. Did you drop your Twitter? Oh, no. Twitter at Sasha Hodler. Okay. I'm going to put your website and your Twitter handle in the um, corner as well. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Hopefully, you can come back on again soon. Yeah, yeah. Anytime. (laughs) All right. Thank you. I'll say goodbye in a second. All right. Thanks.